Let's forget about all that so-called chaos on Capitol Hill. There's no speaker for two and a half minutes. It's fine. It's not chaos. They want you to think it's chaos, and they want us to not actually know a thing about one of the many smoking guns, genuine smoking guns that surround Joe Biden and Hunter. This has received scant attention, but it justifies not only an impeachment inquiry, it justifies articles of impeachment. It justifies we're getting damn near close to a trial in the Senate. Take a look. Why is this not the biggest story in the world, a wire transfer from Beijing, China to Wilmington, Delaware, destination for $250,000, Joe Biden's house, wired from a Jonathan Lee, prominent Chinese businessman uh, who was working with Hunter Biden. You will remember the notorious trip that Hunter tagged along with his vice presidential dad to China back in, I think it was 2014. They went from the airplane to the hotel downtown and met with, yes, Jonathan Lee. Now, anybody, even the fake news, back when they still had a little shred of curiosity, knows that this setup stinks. Your father did shake hands with Mr. Lee, though, correct, in the lobby of that hotel? I don't remember, but probably, yeah, I hope so. I hope he did. He was my friend. Jonathan Lee. Yeah, for for uh, almost uh, 13 years. He was your he friend was and, your business, and your business partner. Yeah, but I understand. So, really, Amy, whether I'm in New York or whether I'm in Washington, D.C., a friend and a business associate is in the hotel, and my dad's staying there. Is it inappropriate? For me to have coffee with them? I don't so that meeting anything was not a mistake. It was not unethical. 100% not. No. It, what do you say to people who believe this is exactly why people hate Washington? A vice president's son can make money in countries where this? you're... Back then, that's during the campaign. Lie to the American people about the money situation, right? More on that in a second. But isn't it fascinating how he answers that? Basically, he answers it every possible way. I don't remember... No, probably, yeah. Uh, these are skilled liars. But weirdly, weirdly, weird as hell, Hunter might be telling the truth in this one instance because the money in that venture with Mr. Lee, at least here, did not go to Hunter. It went to Joe Biden. That wire transfer went to Wilmington, Delaware on August 2nd, 2019, and Hunter wasn't there. In all of 2019, he was in California. How about that, huh? Yeah, that's where we did that interview with Amy Rohrbach. Right when his dad was showing up in California for a bunch of presidential debates and famously said what I think the Chinese would really want our foreign policy to be. What I would do as president is several more things because things have changed. I would, in fact, make sure that there is, we immediately surge to the border. All those people are seeking asylum. They deserve to be heard. That's who we are. We're a nation that says if you want to flee and you're fleeing oppression, you should come. That's one month after he got $250,000 from the Chinese, it looks like, according to all the evidence. And we have this from the House Oversight Committee. Um, when you speak like that, the people who are oppressed, genuinely oppressed, already know America, land of the free. But the people who want money, opportunity, a life of crime, sorry, they take that as a signal, come, we're letting you in, and we are. 
All that money that went to the Bidens from China, is that why we let that balloon sail right over this country? I mean, let's face it, that was incredibly weird. I mean, wrong, inappropriate. <laughs> I mean, just how do you justify allowing that to happen? You can't. But you can kind of see how it did happen when you factor in the money. Hmm? Smoking gun stuff, more, more than adequate for uh, articles of impeachment. Now, a couple more things about the speaker. You know, they say that Kevin McCarthy, <laughs> well, guess what? I know that he was in it for the perks. That was a large part of it. Hey, look at me. I'm the speaker. Ha, ha, ha. But all the talk about speaker got me thinking about an old speaker, a former speaker. His name was Dennis Hastert. Name is Dennis Hastert. Um, there he was with Bill Clinton, right? State of the Union. Dennis Hastert. Do you remember him? George W. Bush. I think he was the longest Republican speaker we ever had. A big deal. Yeah, his portrait is up there in uh, the Capitol. And he went to prison. He was guilty of molesting children. He did it while he was a high school football coach before he entered Congress. Went to jail for it. You know, it received some media attention, but strangely not nearly adequate. I've seen Republican congressmen who've gotten pulled over for drunk driving receive more attention than he did uh, for molesting children. Isn't that weird? Somebody who was first and second in line for the presidency. Um, now, listen, you've heard of that Pizzagate situation. I don't believe that. I don't believe the Pizzagate story. However, the denials were almost louder than the story, the accusations, actually, the story itself. A totally outrageous, easily debunked story of some child sex ring being operated out of a popular pizza joint. Turned it into this amazing story, all untrue, about Hillary Clinton, John Podesta somehow being involved in a child sex ring. Okay, I didn't believe the story either. Uh, it's curious, though, that a Mr. Meek... All right, James Meek. He was writing stories about Russia disinformation and how the Russians were colluding with President Trump and all that stuff, right? You saw all those stories. And he cited the Pizzagate story as, uh, as something that was obviously not true. And I do believe it's not true, but it's interesting that this man is going to prison for, you guessed it, uh, child pornography and abusing children. He is said to have coaxed children into taking naked pictures of themselves and sending them to him and other horrible, horrible misdeeds. Uh, this comes up all too often. A prominent, very high-ranking producer at CNN some time ago who worked closely with Chris Cuomo is now in federal prison for a long time for actually not just child pornography, actual illegal sexual acts with a child. Um, these stories somehow don't receive the attention that I think they're due. Somehow a Republican congressman who gets pulled over for drunk driving receives more attention. Isn't that interesting? All right, what's next? Today, I'm announcing my administration has approved an additional $9 billion in relief for 125,000 borrowers in just the past few weeks under that program. With the latest debt cancel cancellation in total, my administration has canceled $127 billion and student debts for nearly 3.6 million Americans. It's pretty low key when he's giving $127 billion of our money away. 
I thought he couldn't do this. Didn't the Supreme Court just say you can't do this, Joe Biden? They did in a six to three decision. He's trying to find a work around um, pretty. What's the word? Communist. This is socialist stuff, right? This really is what they were talking about. Free everything for everybody. The government is the be-all and the end-all. Leonid Brezhnev is a guy who ran the Soviet Union back in the day. And you know what? He has the same manner, the same bearing, and always saying stuff that's not true as our friend Joe Biden. Yep. Always boasting about things that didn't actually happen. The economy's great when it's sputtering. Uh, Leonid Brezhnev and Joe Biden. Wow, a match that uh, it actually works. They got a lot in common. Next. When was the last time you spoke to President Biden, and do you expect you now? You know, I was thinking about that. It's been a long, long time. I, I couldn't remember when I spoke to him last. You know, I've been thinking about this. I, I showed it to you earlier, but it's like he didn't talk to the president like I didn't talk to my Aunt Mary. When is the last time I talked to my Aunt Mary? I come to think of it, I, uh, I should give her a call sometime. Uh, Kevin McCarthy, uncreative, unaggressive. I'm actually, as you know, I'm a fan of what happened this week. I am. I had to figure it out, but he had other things he could have done. I know getting legislation passed is hard, especially given the situation down there. Uh, but there are other things you can do. There's other trimming. There's other, and go to the White House and demand to see him. Did you hear about the guy who was nailed for dog fighting? Yeah, a senior Pentagon official, Frederick Douglass Moorfield Jr., uh, arrested. Allegedly, he was, uh, well, having dogs fight each other totally illegal and wrong, and executing the dogs who lost with electric jumper cables. Horrible. Um, this is also kind of horrible, far less so, but also weird. His job, Deputy Chief Information Officer for Command, Control, and Communications for Office of Secretary of Defense. The Office of the Secretary of Defense. The office has a deputy chief for information for command control and communications in an office. Talk about bureaucratic bloat. Wouldn't it be nice to get rid of some of this stuff? You can, there's a way. I keep hearing, well, it doesn't actually add up to all that much. You know what, it actually does. Who remembers the movie Dave? Great movie. The whole idea is, it came out in 1993. Kevin Klein is in it. The president of the United States has a heart attack. This guy looks just like him. They don't want the country to know the president had a heart attack, so they get this guy to dress up as the president and act as the president. They don't tell anybody that the real president is in a coma somewhere. This guy comes in, and instead of just being a stand-in, he's like, what the hell, I'm here. I'm going to start doing stuff. I'm going to start doing things that make sense, common sense. Watch. A couple things I'd like to go over in the budget. Don't we have anything on the budget today? No, I don't think so. Now, I, uh, I think I found some ways to put back the homeless section of the Simpson-Garner Works Bill. Mr. President, I don't believe that's on your agenda today. No, it's a last-minute change, Bob. It's a last-minute change, Mr. Swamp. See how panicked they got? This is great. Bob, the chief of staff, represents the swamp. Remember that. And everybody around that table, but they come around. We've got uh, 17 defense contractors who are delinquent in their contracts. Uh, is this true, Frank? Uh, I believe so, yes. So even though they're late, we keep paying them on time. 
well, in a sense. Yeah. If we took that cash and stuck it in even an ordinary savings account, we'd be making $23 million a month in interest. Well, technically that's true, but... Uh... Oh. Man, I suppose it's true. Okay. Okay. Huh? They're coming around. The swamp doesn't want to cooperate. Some are getting it, but they get them bad. I don't want to give away the end of the movie. One more chip. One more clip. Carry the one makes six hundred and fifty-six million dollars. We can keep the program. The Swamp, a common sense president, fake president, just took power away from the swamp and they hate it. That holds true. Folks, I know it's just a movie, but it actually inspires. And so did this this week. Matt Gates on the floor of the House of Representatives. I know the swamp says no, right? Just like the swamp was saying no to that fake president in the movie, Dave. You can't do it this way. We've never done it this way. What are you doing? You're going to screw the whole thing up for everybody. You've heard that, right? I have hope somehow. And this is not chaos. All week long, the fake news saying there's chaos on Capitol Hill. Oh, my goodness, the disarray. No, this is democracy, actually. You want to see chaos? We know chaos, right? The border situation. This is chaos. Uh, children uh, being brought to drag shows. This is insanity and chaos, all right? Uh, and losing a 20-year war, Afghanistan. That's chaos. The people, the people, we can do a much better job. We'll be right back. So, the Karen craze, right? You gotta watch out for those Karens. I hate this campaign against these women who are just sticking up for themselves. So many lies have been told about these women as the media, social media mobs, and uh, everybody else gleefully tries to cancel them. You know why this is going on? It's punishment. Punishment of white women. Because white women, you see, they voted for Trump in 2016. Donald Trump famously won white women voters in the 2016 presidential election, striking because that happened even with a white woman on the ballot. If I was a Republican, I'd be most concerned about what college white women are doing in the suburbs. When you're a white woman and you're a Republican, there's just certain stuff culturally that you don't know jack bleep about. Do we think the president still has that sort of... I wouldn't call it the silent majority, but would, would we say that he still has that voting base? Or given all that's happened, I'm looking at you, suburban white women, does he still have their vote? Wow. Talk about self-righteous virtues. I think she's a suburban white woman, and even she's calling him out. All right. So this brings us to the Karen situation. I really believe what's going on here is an effort to make white women vote in a certain way and to inhibit them and to essentially soft cancel them so that they will behave. And what's the methodology? Well, cancel culture. The latest Karen out there, and I love the name Karen, I don't like what they've done to that, is this woman, the commuter train Karen, fired after a viral video of her berating German tourists. 
Well, she's been called a racist. She's been called everything in the book all over the world. This story has gone, as they say, viral, which means it'll be over in about 10 minutes, right? But the impact on her will last forever. So I've looked at the video. I don't think she deserves this at all. Looks like she had a bad night and she might have been provoked. Watch. All right, they're having some sort of dispute. She is convinced that they said something to her offensive. Was it sexist? Was it misogynistic? Reportedly, these are a group of German tourists. They're coming back, by the way, from the uh, Jets-Chiefs game and the Jets' loss. Emotions may be running high or low. Next. Don't do this. Bree, do this. You're going to get arrested. I can, I can handle my own. Bree? 23. What? What? What is it? Bree, please stop this. Bree, stop this or I'm, I'm never going to talk to you again. Stop this or I'm never going to talk to you again. Listen to me right now. So the boyfriend's trying to calm her down. Um, do you see anything that's worthy of global attention at this point? I personally do not. Not at all. Quite frankly, I've seen these scenes probably 9,000 times. Something like this. I've ridden the commuter railroad system around New York for a long time, for a good chunk of my life. Next, please. Oh! oh. Oh boy, there it is. Get out of our country. How low can you, is that really the worst thing in the world, huh? Now, other people are pointing out, she said immigrant. We don't know how she actually used the word immigrant. It's hard to tell, There's, it's confusing. You can't say immigrant. Can we cut her a little bit of slack? Because right now we do have an immigration crisis. First, this is not racist, okay? These are white people, right? From Germany, German tourists, who will be going back to their home country sooner or later. It's fascinating to me. If she said, go to hell, internal damnation, that's fine. Go back to your own country, and it is their own country, Germany. This is unforgivable. So what happened? What do you think happens next? Her boss, yep, fires her. First, they put out a self-righteous statement. Our company has a zero-tolerance policy around prejudicial or discriminatory behavior. Oh, good for you, capital RX. Next, please. After conducting a review of the circumstances, we acted immediately and terminated the employee in question. Oh, good for you, capital R. The former employee's actions, oh, she's already fired, and words are not representative of capital RX. And we offer our sincerest apology to those who were hurt. Nobody was even touched. Let me, uh, let me translate what capital RX is really saying. We do not want any problems from the mob. We are scared and we don't want any attention to anything else we do around here. So we put out a statement, exactly what the woke mob wants, so they leave us alone. And it pretty much worked. Everybody is kind of done, right? But she, her life potentially is affected forever. I'm gonna say her name now, cause well, it's all over the world. Brianna Pinnix. Again, she was having a bad night. She was probably under the influence, right?
Let me go back to uh, the company she worked for, CRX. What the heck is that? Capital RX. Well, it's something called a PBM. I've never heard of a PBM. Capital RX is a PBM. It's a pharmacy benefit managers situation. So do you know what that is? Neither do I. But this is having the opposite effect. Capital RX, the mob has gone on. But now I'm curious, what are you guys all about? Why did you throw your employee under the bus so willy-nilly, huh? So you guys are not without your controversy, you pharmacy benefit managers. And I understand somehow you're the middleman between the drug manufacturer and the drug store. You guys get involved. And I know that Republicans and Democrats have serious reservations about what you guys do. This is Marsha Blackburn, Republican of Tennessee, uh, at a recent hearing where a top executive from Capital Rx was testifying. Constantly hear from Tennesseans um, how frustrated they are with the PBMs. You know, in all, in all transparency, I would do away with the PBMs. I think they're unnecessary. And when patients are being steered, when patients are not able to reap the benefit of that, that um, reduced price and they continue to pay higher prices, it is something that is very difficult. All right. Um, whatever they do, she is not a fan. You heard that? She's a Republican from Tennessee. Well, a Democrat from Oregon has doubts about Capital Rx as well and PBMs and everything you do. Take it away, Senator Wyden. What's on your mind? I want to illustrate just one example of PBM practices that's resulting in high prices. In a competitive market, if two products have equal quality, a business should prefer the lower cost option. However, oftentimes PBMs charge administrative fees to drug makers, which are calculated as a percentage of a drug list price. That means PBMs get a higher payment if they favor higher cost drugs. In my view, that's a clear example of these bizarre, these perverse incentives that PBMs have created that has left so many Americans fed up and outraged at the healthcare system. Wow. The more I hear about PBMs and Capital Rx, I think it's a great thing that Brianna Pinnock doesn't work at such a company anymore. Look, she was obviously under the influence, right? Our country today is overwhelmed by fentanyl. Was some of that in her system? Who knows? People are dying, right? They call it the, uh, the deaths of sorrow, I think. Drug addiction, alcohol. And we see the effects of it in real life. She doesn't die. We don't cut her any slack whatsoever. Where is the forgiveness? Where is the tolerance? Where is the understanding? Where is not taking everything so seriously? Hunter Biden is often under the influence. It's fascinating. Democrats, our culture, the media will make all kinds of excuses for him when he's under the influence. He can sell out his own country. He can knock up a girl and deny responsibility and he can sell those crummy paintings and actually get money for them. And people are saying, well, after all, he has a drug problem. One more time, Brianna Pinnix, I don't think this should have happened to you. It wasn't the best thing in the world to say, but can we learn? Can we grow? Can we all get along, right, Rodney King? America, the country that 
We beat the Nazis. We beat Imperial Japan. We went to the moon. We defeated ISIS. And we're afraid of a bunch of geeks with their Twitter accounts and TikTok. We have so much work to do, don't we? But I think we can do it with God's help. Good luck to you, Brianna. Say her name. Should we make that a thing? Brianna Pinnix, say her name. I'll be right back. You know, everybody's reporting the same stories, the same spin. You turn the channel, it's always the same. But not us, we're different. We report the real news, no spin, just the facts. Turn to us and you won't turn back. Tune in to Rob Schmidt tonight on Newsmax. There's something dangerous happening in America now. There's an extremist movement that does not share the basic beliefs in our democracy. The MAGA movement. Wow, he's still pushing this MAGA, make America great again. People like me, like you, we're an existential threat to democracy. It is insane, but the president is saying it, and it looks like the FBI has been listening, listening very closely, taking all kinds of cues, and setting up internal working groups to keep tabs on MAGA. It is unbelievable. It's documented, though. It seems to be happening. William Arkin wrote uh, a really groundbreaking story for Newsweek magazine. Donald Trump followers targeted by FBI as 2024 election nears. William Arkin, very successful author and uh, journalist. Welcome to Newsmax. How are you, sir? Great work. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. So I noticed that they're kind of hedging a little bit on the language, right? The language could possibly be applied to the left as well as the right. But your sense is what's really happening here? Well, it's not my sense. What I know now from FBI sources and FBI documents as well as FBI data is that in November of last year, uh, the Bureau uh, created a new subcategory of anti-government extremists that applies almost solely to Donald Trump and the MAGA supporters, Donald Trump supporters. And that was done in a way uh, because the reality of the data was that that was the majority of the investigations. In fact, 60 percent of all ongoing FBI assessments and investigations relates to MAGA and Donald Trump supporters. And so therefore, in some way, the FBI is just following the data. But on the other hand, it also has to be very discreet about it. Because to designate the MAGA movement or Donald Trump's supporters as potential domestic terrorists or even domestic extremists is politically untenable. And so they hide behind this idea that somehow this applies to both Democrats and Republicans, while in fact everybody in Washington knows exactly who it is that they're targeting and why. Well, the why. You say the data. Now, I'm assuming that a lot of this data comes from January 6th investigations. And many of us believe, many of us know that a lot of people are being investigated and hounded, people who didn't hurt anybody, people who didn't break anything, people who didn't even go inside the Capitol are getting visited and even arrested by the FBI. Is that the data that skews this so it would look like they can say to you with a straight face, yes, this is a MAGA situation that we're, that we're looking into? Well, the FBI isn't saying it to me with a straight face. I mean, it's not releasing this data, and it certainly doesn't break it down. What we see is that in 2020, there was definitely a 
a spike in domestic violent extremism in America and specifically in FBI cases. 2021, of course, as a result of January 6th, unleashed, I don't know, four or 5,000 investigations on the part of the FBI. Initially, they're called assessments, and then they move on to being investigations, and then finally to full investigations that result in an actual indictment. What happened is that the majority of those cases were closed, or at least the FBI's business in those cases were finished in 2021. So in 2022, the key question is, well, where do you return to? Do you return to a pre-January 6th level, or do you return to something different? What the FBI determined after January 6th was that the number of white supremacist cases, as they defined them, had declined significantly. The number of um, militia-related cases have declined significantly. And what you have instead now is you have the preponderance of their open cases uh, dealing with the MAGA movement and with Donald Trump supporters. So that's what the data says. Well, all right. And I want to go back to the first question I asked you, your sense, because, you know, they're not they got to be careful with this. You didn't have really named sources. So you're having conversations, I assume. Um, and do they really believe that MAGA is a threat? I'm going to tell you that if they say that MAGA is a threat, they are, number one, they're wrong. Number two, they're doing it for political reasons. Now, that is my sense. I don't work at the FBI, but we've been on this for a long time. That is what a lot of politicians in Washington, D.C. want to hear, and they want to overlook black identity extremism, BLM, Antifa, all of the stuff that we have seen. So did they, do they seem at all reluctant? Do they sense political pressure? Or is this strictly data-driven? You know, the answer to this question, Greg, is all, all of the above. It's data-driven in the sense that that's what the majority of cases are that the FBI investigates. But with limited resources, they decide what they want to investigate. You know, one could argue that today the FBI should be spending most of its time and energy on, on gun violence or on fentanyl. Those are far more dangerous uh, situations for America. Sure. Mr. Arkin, let but, me jump in. When you said the assignments, the, these are the open case, the assignments. So they're looking, they are small, so they have to, they can't pick everything. They can pick and choose. So they want to be able to report to Congress, you know, that, uh, that, that white supremacy threats from MAGA is somehow bigger. And this is important. I'd love to get your reaction. Uh, uh, Director Ray, some time ago in front of the Congress talking about Antifa. Take a look. Antifa as more of an ideology or a movement than an organization. That, that is what a lot of folks say. And but we've seen Antifa attack that police compound in Atlanta, you know, the siege of the federal building in Portland. Yet we get the sense, I get the sense that top bureaucrats are pressured from the left to say otherwise, to focus well, on. I don't MAGA. I don't see that. I'm sorry. I don't see it. What I see is that there is a choice that says we're going to designate this movement, if you will, MAGA. We're going to designate this movement as potential domestic violent extremists. That's a decision on the part of the FBI. I don't think it's a result of pressure from the left. I don't think it's even a result 
of pressure from the Biden All right, administration. Let, well, let me ask you this. Do you think it's a sound decision? You heard what President Biden said there. The president of the United States says that make America great again. Half the country is a threat to democracy. I, I guess maybe I should have found out just to get your perspective. I mean, do you think that's reasonable? Look, I respect you. This is very well written and you know what you're, you, you know your stuff, but your ideology, do you believe that? What I believe is that for the FBI to designate a political movement of any type in America as being a threat to the national security of America or even the threat of civil war, or that in some way it has to focus on the elections by focusing on domestic violent extremism is wrong. I, I say that until a crime is committed, it's not a crime. And I say that despite what happened on January 6th, whatever you think about it, it was the rea reality was that there were a hundred thousand plus people out there and fourteen hundred or so invaded the Capitol and, and maybe another couple of thousand committed violence. So I, I guess as an analyst and as an observer and most importantly, as an American, I look at the situation and I say to myself, there's something wrong with Washington okay. and Washington's perspective that says that MAGA and the Trump uh, supporters are domestic violent extremists when they're reluctant to say it about others who are potentially domestic violent extremists as you. well. Right. BLM, we all saw it. And uh, well, Mr. Arkin, I thank you very much. Uh, you can follow him at, at W Arkin, A-R-K-I-N on Twitter. And please check out Newsweek.com. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. All right. We'll be right back. You're on the go and need news now. No paywalls, no cable subscriptions. Just download the Newsmax app from your smartphone store. It's free. And watch Newsmax TV anytime, anywhere. Well, it's actually been pretty amazing to see Donald Trump in court as he defends himself from this totally bogus case. They're trying to say that Donald Trump is not the man who we've known for decades. It is ludicrous. The woman to his right, though, I'm sure you already noticed, that's Alina Haba, uh, his attorney, legal spokeswoman, and general counsel for Save America PAC. Uh, I am told on very good authority. Now, we only have cameras in the courtroom for the very start. We don't actually hear the arguments, but her opening statement was said to really put the prosecution back on its feet and uh, it might have been an uh-oh moment for them. I do know that outside the courtroom, we can all look and watch her speak and it's pretty amazing. Take a look. What we are witnessing is election interference of somebody who is leading in the polls the more they hit him. So keep hitting him because he's going to keep fighting. At the end of the day, we have a judge that has told us that Mar-a-Lago is worth $18 million. He has failed to acknowledge what the appellate division has said, and we will continue to fight in hopes that there is some level of law and order in this country at this point. Although my faith in the system is weary, I do have faith in Donald Trump. Thank you very much. Unbelievable. Like a movie. Uh, I mean, just so powerful. Alina Haba joins us now. Alina, welcome. Thank you for being here. How's it going? Uh, are you, Very how are you well. feeling? Very good. Very good. We had a strong uh, day four. We've had a strong week. 
despite the the situation that we've been put in, um, in you know, this court, which we strongly believed we shouldn't have been in, uh, we've been fighting hard. And I got to tell you, their key witness, you know, came up. He he said, frankly, everything I wanted him to say. I, I heard it perfectly, and I looked over, and I think that we're we're doing very well. And it's not going to go so well for Letitia James because at the end of the day. The Trump organization did nothing wrong, and they're using a consumer fraud statute inappropriately against a private business. It's not supposed to happen, and it's a very scary precedent for New Yorkers. I'll tell you that, Greg. All right. So, all right. You're also, I guess it's in the hands of this judge, yeah. who, in my opinion, appears, literally appears to be rather goofy. I think we have him smiling and grinning and doing weird stuff and saying very strange things over the years. It's in his hands, right, in a way. And, uh, I mean, like, some people say this case has already been decided in his head. We've seen the ruling. How do you, what do you, what do, you do about that? Well, we haven't just seen the ruling in his head. We've seen the ruling before we stepped into court. And while this trial is, you know, going to be lengthy and waste of taxpayer dollars, we literally see that this judge has made the decision in summary judgment that, the Trump organization is liable, according to him, and according to him, Mar-a-Lago is worth $18 million, which is the tax-assessed value, not the market value. But it doesn't matter. His mind was made up that the number, which was frankly far less than what Mar-a-Lago is worth, which is on the statement of financial condition, didn't match. So we're going to appeal. We announced that today. That's breaking news for you, Mr. Mr. Kelly. <laughs> we're going to appeal it tomorrow, uh, that decision, and, and we'll be filing our papers. You'll appeal the decision tomorrow, but the case isn't over yet, right? You're going to appeal already. We're going to appeal it, and we're going to ask for a stay. All right. Excellent. Wow. Uh, and what about this? What about filing something? I don't know, a complaint to the bar committee, uh, whatever. But Letitia James, here she is. We have stone-cold proof of her lies. Take a look. The president of the United States has complained that I'm engaging in some sort of political witch hunt, that I've got some personal vendetta against him, that I campaigned against him. That is not true. This illegitimate president who sits in the White House. That president, because he's not my president, he's an illegitimate president. His days are numbered. His days are numbered. We've got to get ready to mobilize. And we've got to get ready to agitate and irritate. It goes on like this and on and on and on. She said this when she was an attorney, but not yet attorney general. This seems to be highly uh, inappropriate, highly something. What can you do with this kind of material? Well, uh, you know, I'm not going to tell you what we can do with it, but I can tell you that we see it and that we'll handle it. But I will also say you've got to remember that that footage that you're showing on that screen was before she was in office, before she knew anything about the Trump organization. And she has used the Trump name to leverage her, frankly, not successfully, leverage her uh, her own job and try and run for governor, fail, and now is trying to go through this trial is going to fail. Because if we don't win in this court, we will win in the appellate division. I'm not concerned because the facts are the facts, but we have we are witnessing corruption at its best right now in this country. We have people that are looking at justice systems as broken. We have DOJs that are broken. We have people that are getting up. Merrick Garland is saying that he can't even say whether he spoke to Biden. I mean, I've never heard any more absurd. That's who he works for. This is what our country is right now, Greg. And I know you hit it hard, and, and I'm so glad you played that, because that's footage that we really haven't shown yet. And it's, it's a big deal. The attorney general is an extension of the government. The government is not supposed to be campaigning against somebody and using them to leverage
leverage their own political career. And if you look at her, her what she's doing right now on Twitter and all of that, it's very obvious. She thinks this is good for her brand. Sorry to tell you, it's not going well. No, it's not good for um, it's not good for the country. It's not, it's not good, good for, for any of us. It's not good for the country, especially the state of New York. It's horrific. It really is. Well, yeah. Alina Haba, uh, so glad. I think the president is quite fortunate to have you by his side. Please keep us posted, and thank you very much. You can follow Alina at Alina Haba, H-A-B-B-A, at Alina Haba on Twitter to be continued. And thank you. We'll be right back. So this is um, Ryan Carson, 32 years old. He was killed uh, about a week ago here in New York City, stabbed to death for it, no reason whatsoever. He was walking down the street in Brooklyn. A deranged man walks up to him and plunges a knife several times into his chest. He tried to fight him off, but it was too much, and uh, he died. Now, the guy who did it, this was the initial picture of him from surveillance. And, uh, well, they believe they have him in custody right now, 18-year-old Brian Dowling. Uh, but curious uh, report from local news. When the man was arrested, they did something rather odd. Take a look. This is footage of the man police say they were looking for. He has not yet been identified, but we are blurring his face at the moment while charges are pending. Uh, we watched again as all of this went down. It's just so weird. Charges are pending. They, they don't do it that way. He's handcuffed. He's in public. He's of age. Is this some sort of new woke trend? Uh, we called CBS, didn't get an answer about what they're up to. Generally speaking, uh, the people are allowed to see folks who are in police custody. Who remembers Dominique Strauss-Kahn, the guy accused of rape? Uh, turned out he didn't do it, by the way. He was the head of the International Monetary Fund. This is like standard, right? And at this point, uh, uh, he hadn't been charged yet. He was on his way to be charged. So it's, it's very, very weird. By the way, the French are horrified by the perp walk. They don't do it over there. Um, how about this? Daniel Penny, the man who saved possibly several lives on that subway train over the summer. Yeah, they had no trouble taking his picture for the world to see. But an alleged murderer who stabbed allegedly a guy in the chest several times we're going to play it really nice and easy, and we're going to be very, very cautious here. Very strange. We want to know what's going on. More information, not less, right? No more blurring. We'll be right back. It's true. I am an America first, liberty loving Latino. That's why I know this country is worth fighting for. That's why the Chris Salcedo Show will always tell you the truth. The Chris Salcedo Show for the news you need to know. Well, my phone is full of baby pictures and videos, but I always forget to send them to the control room in time. They got to do a bunch of stuff to it tomorrow, I promise. And I'll see you then.